Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. The Holy Spirit is mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2, and he can put it up on the screen there. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, or he hovered over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was involved in the creation of this world. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, he came upon many different people for the work of God, including uh, Joseph, Bezalel, Moses, Joshua, Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, uh, and even Saul. And and, in the Spirit of God, he anointed so many different people uh, throughout the Old Testament. But the work of the Holy Spirit was distinctively different in the Old Testament from the New Testament. So we're going to be expounding on some of the differences between the Old Testament work of the Spirit and the New Testament work of the Spirit and the major event that changed the work from the Old Testament to the New Testament is a finished work of Jesus Christ that allowed the Spirit of God not only to come upon an individual, but to dwell inside of an individual. Aren't you thankful for that here tonight? And let me start off by saying this, that if God could use all the men and women of God throughout the Old Testament with just the Spirit coming upon an individual, what can be done through a believer, a brother, or a sister who not only has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but has the infilling of the Holy Spirit, who has been equipped for the work of God. Now, there is no function exempt from the necessity of the help and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And really, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, even those who were waiting on tables were filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that no matter what function you've been called to, no matter what purpose in the work of God, in the body of Christ that God has chosen you for, it is God's will, it is God's desire for you to be filled with the Spirit of God. God, for you to be empowered, for you to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if you're greeting, it doesn't matter if you're preaching, if you're singing, if you're worshiping, if you're serving in any other capacity, it is God's will for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the main distinction between God's prophets and the false prophets of that day was the heavenly power of the Holy Spirit enabling them to utter messages not conceived in their own minds. Only the Holy Spirit could inspire the outburst of eloquence that flowed from the lips of prophets such as Isaiah. And you know, one of the best ways to determine who the Holy Spirit is, is to study the names he bears and the symbols that illustrate his workings. Now, I want to begin by saying here tonight that the Spirit of God, he is not just a force, uh, he's not just an energy, but he is a person, he is a third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God. Hallelujah. 
the Spirit of God. He's not electricity. The Holy Spirit, he is a person. It was through the Spirit that God not only created, but he preserves the universe. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, 20 the Holy Spirit is described as the finger of God. It's the Spirit of God that God the Father works through on this earth. It's through the Spirit that God accomplishes everything on this earth. And if it's through the Holy Spirit that God accomplishes everything, how much do you and I need the Spirit of God? If Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, had the Spirit of God without measure, who is 100% God and 100% perfect, how much more do you and I need the Spirit of the Lord? It's the Holy Spirit who converts sinners, and He also He He saves and He or He He sanctifies and He He sustains the believer. I'll say that again: that the Holy Spirit He converts the sinner and He sustains the believer. He sanctifies the believer. The Holy Spirit He is God. His attributes are described as as eternal, as omnipresent, which means that He's everywhere. He's omnipotent, which means that He's all powerful and with all authority and he is omniscient which means that he is all knowing now some of the divine works that are ascribed to him are creation regeneration and resurrection if you're taking notes here tonight uh creation regeneration and resurrection those are divine works that are attributed to the holy spirit so one of the questions that could be asked is is the holy spirit a person or he is he just an influence. Again, is he a person or is he just an influence? Uh, you see, the Holy Spirit, he's often described as uh, the breath that fills or the unction that anoints, the fire that lights, the water that is poured out, and the gift of which we all partake. However, these are merely descriptions of his operations. Again, he's a breath that fills, the unction that anoints. You've heard me say that we need the unction to function. Amen. We need a shirt that says that. Unction to function. We were laughing, uh, Miss Turquoise, on her car. It says, believe it. Is that right? Somebody noticed that. I said, that's KJV. <laughs> we need the unctioneth to functioneth. Amen. The unction to function, the Holy Spirit, he gives you an unction to function. He's the unction that anoints, he's the fire that lights, the, the water that is poured out, and the gift of which we all partake. But these are, are merely descriptions of his operations. And the Spirit is described in such a way that leaves no doubt that he is a person. The Bible tells us that he reveals, that he teaches, he witnesses, he intercedes, he speaks, he commands. He testifies. We also see in the word that he is able to be grieved, to even be lied to, and to be blasphemed. And so the Holy Spirit, he is more than just a force. He's more than just an influence. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person, and more importantly, he is God. In the Bible, he's manifested in the visible form of a dove. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 11, we see that the Holy Spirit is distinguished from his gifts. The Bible says in speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, and I'd like to at some point do uh, some teaching specifically on the gifts of the Spirit, but the, the Bible says distributing to each one 
individually as he wills. And so we see here a, a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. And that it is a person of the Holy Spirit that distributes the gift of the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit, he, he's not just the gifts. The Holy Spirit, he distributes the gifts of the Spirit. Now, a person is simply one who possesses intelligence, feeling, and will. Again, a person is one who possesses intelligence, feeling, and will. Now, although the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have their own will, we know that they are one. We know that their, their will is unified. So you don't have to possess a body to be real. For, for example, the wind is without form, but yet it is still real. It is still powerful. When you live in Louisiana, you see the power that happens behind storms and behind the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of the wind. And so one does not have to be embodied to be real. The Bible says in John chapter 3 in verse 8 that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so, although the Holy Spirit you cannot see with your physical eyes, but the Holy Spirit is just as real as the wind is, just as real as the breath that you breathe. You can't see the breath that you breathe, and yet it keeps you alive, amen? And it's the same way in the spiritual sense. You can't see the Holy Spirit with your physical eyes, but it's the Spirit of God that gives you life, and life more abundantly. It's the Spirit of God that sustains your spiritual being. And so oftentimes, His work throughout the Bible are invisible or internal. Now, one thing that's important to note about the Holy Spirit is that the, the Holy Spirit never speaks of himself or represents himself. He never calls attention to himself, but to the will of God and the saving work of Jesus Christ. John chapter 16 verse 13 says that he shall not speak of himself. So the Holy Spirit is sent from God and is God's gift to humanity. The Holy Spirit always represents the one God in the spheres of thought, will, and activity. Now there's many different expressions that you see throughout the Word of God for the Holy Spirit. And you know, one example is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Now, I want to say that there is no essential difference between the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit. You could also say that there's no distinct difference between uh, the terminology Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Ghost, uh, Paraclete. There's no distinction between the three. Now, uh, it's also important to note that whether you choose to say Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make a difference. Now, for me, I'm used to hearing uh, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when I'm around Russians, Russians don't have definite articles in their language. So they always just say Holy Spirit. And so I feel like they're missing a word there. So I'm used to saying the Holy Spirit, but whether somebody chooses to say the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit makes no difference. For some, they might feel like it's more personal to say Holy Spirit, uh, which is perfectly fine. But the Holy Spirit has many names that, that describe who he is. And one of those names is that he is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of 
Christ. Now, why is he referred to as the Spirit of Christ? John chapter 14, verse 26, we see that the Spirit of God is sent in the name of Jesus Christ, whom the Father will send in my name. And so the new life that we receive of, the, uh, receive of by the Spirit once we are saved is imparted and maintained by Jesus Christ. The, the Holy Spirit is imparted to you through Jesus Christ. You see in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11 that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus and Jesus alone can baptize you in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. We can pray for you and we can lay hands on you, but it is Jesus who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus who anoints with the Holy Spirit. If somebody says, I want to give you my anointing, please run as far as you can because you don't want their anointing. You want Jesus's anointing. Now, somebody can pray for you and say, I'm going to pray for Jesus to anoint you, and that's a lot more biblical, and I'll welcome those prayers any day. And so it's Jesus that sends the Holy Spirit. That's why he's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. It's his special mission in this age to glorify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, he makes real in believers what Christ has done for them. I'll say that again, that the Holy Spirit makes real in the believer what Christ has done for the believer. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus more real as your Savior and as your healer and as your deliverer and as a baptizer in the Holy Ghost. We also we often say it like this, that when we first get, get saved, we love Jesus a lot. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you love him this much. Amen. Because the Holy Spirit, he makes Jesus more real to you. You, you know, people try to say that speaking in tongues is of the devil. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, if, if that was of the devil, it's the only thing the devil's got that makes me love Jesus more. It's the only thing the devil had that made me fall in love with Jesus even more. Hallelujah. And so the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's whenever you are immersed in the Spirit of God. And really, the word picture there is like a sunken ship or like a sponge that can't contain any more water. But it is Jesus Christ who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. You can say it like this, that Christ is present in the church and in believers by the Holy Spirit. Again, Christ is present in the church, in the body of Christ. He's present in believers through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus real. Now, the connection between Christ and the Spirit is so close that both Christ are said that both are, are said to dwell in the believer, both the Holy Spirit and Christ. Galatians uh, chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says that Christ lives in you. So you know that Christ lives in you. And then if you go to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, you see that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so the connection between Christ and the Spirit is so close, and yet we see uh, yet that there is a distinction. Not only that, but the believer is both in Christ and in the Spirit. As a child of God, not only are you in Christ, but you are in the Spirit. And so you see the Holy Spirit being referred to as the Spirit of Christ. One of the titles that the Holy Spirit is given is the Comforter. 
the comforter. And really this is given to the spirit in John chapter uh, 14 through 17. We won't read all three chapters here today. But when you look into the background of those chapters, you see that the disciples uh, had taken their last meal with their master. Their hearts were saddened at the thought of his departure, and they were oppressed with a sense of weakness and helplessness. No doubt they were thinking, who will help us when he is gone? Who will teach and guide us? Who will stand by us as we preach and teach? And how are we supposed to face a hostile world? And so those unspoken fears, Jesus. Jesus quieted with the promise, I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus, he sees your unspoken fears here tonight. And Jesus, that same promise that was for the disciples is for you here today. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be a comforter. He shall be with you and he shall be in you. And so it means that no matter what the anxieties, no matter what the fear, the Spirit of God is there to bring peace to your heart and peace to your mind. The word comforter, it's a Greek word parakletos, which speaks of one called to the side of another for the purpose of helping him in any way. One called to the side of another for the purpose of helping him in any way. That was the relationship that Jesus had with the disciples during his earthly ministry. And so they were dismayed by his departure. But he comforted them here with the promise of another comforter who would be their defender, be their helper, and be their teacher during his absence. Hallelujah. He said, I'm going to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you without a comfort. I'm not going to leave you without a leave you without a helper. I'm not going to leave you without a teacher, but I will send send you another hallelujah and that word another distinguishes the holy spirit from jesus but yet puts him on the same plane he is another he's another person but he comes in the name of jesus and the holy spirit is there to comfort you and to help you along the way to come alongside of you in your trial to come alongside of you in your hardship in your heartbreak in your disappointments and to comfort you in the middle of that trial hallelujah and the Bible says that that same comfort that we experience, we are now able to comfort others. Hallelujah. And so the Spirit of God, He is your comforter. The Holy Spirit makes possible and real the continued presence of Christ in the church. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he, makes, a, the, he makes it possible uh, for the real and continued present, a presence of Christ in the church. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. Hallelujah. We need the Spirit of God every time we come together for church. We need the Spirit of God every time we preach, every time we teach, every time we worship, every time we take a step forward. We ought to say, God, I will not go unless your Spirit go with me hallelujah every step of the way the spirit of god is with you he will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what you're going through here tonight you have a comforter and that comforter is the holy spirit hallelujah now the sending of the comforter does not mean that christ has ceased to be our helper and advocate of his people. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 tells, it, tells us that Jesus is still our advocate with 
the Father. Now, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the best distinction between the first work of grace and the second work of grace is the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, when you get born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you. We'll be dealing with some of those references here shortly. But you become a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Every born-again child of God, even those who have not speaking, uh, spoken with tongues, if they have accepted Jesus, they now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit. But there is a second work of grace, a second work of the Holy Spirit, and that is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, where you're endued with power to be in effect of witness for Jesus. And we still believe that the initial physical evidence that one has been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that they will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, but you shall receive power. Hallelujah. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the purpose in the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for you to be equipped with power to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ, to give you the boldness and the unction to preach the word of Almighty God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here you see the second work of grace. You see the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now there are many different expressions that you see throughout the Word of God. I believe it's Luke chapter uh, 24, 40, 24 and verse 49 that says that, uh, that they were endued with power from on high, which means that they are clothed with power from on high. You see references throughout uh, the, the book of Acts, such as the Holy Spirit fell upon them or the Holy Ghost uh, came upon them. And all of those expressions are synonymous with the infilling, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A perfect example of that is in Acts chapter 8, when the Bible says that Philip was preaching to those who were in Samaria. And the Bible says that they received the word of God, which means that they were saved, they were born again, they were children of the Most High God. The Bible says that demoniacs were delivered, that people were healed, uh, people were changed by the power of God, uh, and that there was great joy in the city. And so you know that there's a, a reception of the gospel for salvation. But then the Bible says that when the apostles, which were in Jerusalem, had heard that those in Samaria received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible said that they had been baptized, speaking of water baptism, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. And so you see a separate work of grace here. And the Bible says that Peter and John went to where they were and that they laid hands on them and that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And they began to speak with other tongues. Now, specifically in that passage of Scripture, it does not say that they spoke with tongues, but immediately after the Bible says that when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands the Holy Ghost was given, he tried to offer them money to receive that gift. And so what you see there is that there was an initial physical evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit. That is the infilling, that is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
We're going to be talking more later about the seal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. Um, oftentimes when people come here and they visit us, they mention the freedom and the liberty that there is here to worship, to preach. And uh, you know what we do? We allow the Spirit of God to have his way. Because if the Spirit of God is having his way, then there's going to be freedom. If, the Spirit, if there, the Spirit of God is not having his way, then there will be no freedom. But we want the Spirit of God to have his way because where his Spirit is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. That's why we've got to be led by the Spirit and directed by the Spirit and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We, we always have a general schedule. We never come up here on this platform and just try to throw everything together. We have a general plan for the service. But once the service gets going, we say, Lord, have your way. If you want to change the service, if you want to change the song, if you want to change the sermon, if you want to change the direction, Lord, wherever your spirit is, there is freedom. And God is looking for some people that will be sensitive to his spirit and that will preach thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. You want to see sinners set free by the power of God? You've got to be led by the spirit of God. You want to see strongholds broken? You've got to worship in spirit and in truth. You've got to be led by the spirit. You've got to worship in the spirit. You've got to preach in the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is. There is Liberty, hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hallelujah. You were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. The Bible says we ought to glorify him. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that. That you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit allows you to abound in hope. Hallelujah. I didn't give him the reference, but in Jude, it, it says to pray in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up in the most holy faith and keeping you in the love of God. And so the Holy Spirit, he strengthens your faith and he strengthens the love of Jesus in your heart and in your life. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, again, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, the next thing I want to deal with is the seven names of the Spirit. And you see in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, the seven names of the Spirit. Now, I want to make it clear that there's not seven different Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. But these are different names of the Spirit. We see that he is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel, of fortitude, of knowledge, of, of piety, which speaks of faithfulness. 
and the fear of the Lord, which is an awesome respect for God. Anytime you see the fear of the Lord referred to, it's not speaking of being afraid of God. It's speaking of having an awesome respect for the Lord. John chapter 6, six and verse 44 says that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draw them. That in order for somebody to be saved and somebody to be born again, it takes the Spirit of God wooing their heart and pulling on their soul. Hallelujah. You know, we can preach to people and we can minister to people, but it's the Spirit of God that draws the heart and draws the life. And can I tell you something here tonight? If somebody is, 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 is putting something forth, in a way that coerces people and manipulates people, it's not the Spirit of God. Because if it's truth, all you've got to do is proclaim it, and the Spirit of God will make it real to that heart and to that life. If you've got to try to force somebody to believe something, something is wrong. Our job isn't to force somebody to believe, to force somebody to be saved. We just simply sow the seed to preach the word in love, and then it's the Spirit of God that draws that heart. You know, I still remember, my brother's probably watching this, but when he got saved and he came down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I had uh, seen him only once in my life. I was three or four years old, and I knew he came out of Roman Catholicism, and he was visiting, and uh, the Lord spoke very clearly to my heart and said, you can't change him, only I can change him. And so I tried to be as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as I possibly could I would invite him, whatever the case, and I would just leave the rest in the Lord's hands because I know that it takes the Spirit of God. When I got saved, I, even though I grew up in a Christian home, when I started going to church, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell my friends because I didn't want to be forced into believing something. I was searching on my own, and when I was searching, Jesus was searching for me, and Jesus made himself real to me. It was the Spirit of God that was drawing me to him. Why is my faith not shaken when I see people walk away from the Lord and walk away from the faith? It's because it wasn't them that made Jesus real to me in the first place. It was a personal encounter, a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. It was the Spirit of God that drew me to Jesus, and it was Jesus that made himself real to me. Hallelujah. So no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draw him. The fruit of the Spirit, we'll just touch on this briefly, but in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, you see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so, although you cannot see the Holy Spirit, these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is an initial physical evidence. But when it comes to regeneration, there may not be an initial physical evidence that one has been saved. But if they've truly been saved, then the Spirit of God should be producing the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so the Holy Spirit would come upon those in the Old Testament temporarily uh, and selectively for a specific purpose. You'd see that with Joshua and David. You would see that the Spirit would come upon prophets uh, and kings and judges and even uh, craftsmen. And so the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual for a specific task. But once that task was completed, the Holy Spirit had to remove himself. The Holy Spirit 
could not yet dwell inside a man because the price of sin had not yet been paid. It was once the blood was shed and our, our spirits were cleansed that the Holy Spirit could now dwell inside of us. And so in the Old Testament, if God's favor left an individual, then so would his spirit. And you'd see that with Saul in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and that a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And so if his favor left an individual, then so would uh, the Spirit. You would see the Holy Spirit come upon people like Bezalel uh, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 2 through 5, to, to do uh, work that was uh, related to the tabernacle. And so the Holy Spirit wouldn't just come upon prophets and, and kings, but he would come upon craftsmen uh, to build the tabernacle. So what is some of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life today? What are some of the purposes that the Holy Spirit has in our life today. Number one, the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin. You could say that the Holy Spirit is Christ's, Christ's prosecuting attorney, so to speak. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ's prosecuting attorney that secures a divine conviction against those who reject Jesus Christ. Conviction means to bring home truths otherwise doubted or discarded. The darkened mind and soul sees nothing in spiritual truths until convinced and awakened by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes truth real to us. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us. He'll prick our hearts of wrong beliefs and wrong thinking. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us of sin. How many of you believe that we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit? That the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not just for the sinner, but is for the born-again child of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit should be a normal part of the believer's life. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us things in our life that are not right, things that are displeasing to the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit, he brings conviction. Number two, the Holy Spirit brings about regeneration. He brings about conviction and he brings about regeneration. The, the creative work of the Spirit upon the soul, it, it may be illustrated by the creative work of God's Spirit upon man's body in the beginning. And I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 because I want you to picture it. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Again, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so God, he took the dust of the earth, and he formed a body. Until then, it had no life, but then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And as with the body, so it is with the soul. The, the same spirit that quickened the body, he quickens the soul, and the person begins to live the spiritual life. The Holy Spirit quickens your spirit, makes your spirit alive. Hallelujah. And so that's the work of regeneration. When you got saved, Jesus made you alive. Jesus gave you life. 
He came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but the Holy Spirit quickened you and he made you alive. Hallelujah. He gave you life. You couldn't understand spiritual things. You Before you got saved, you'd read the Bible and it was just words on a page. But when you got saved, when you got born again, the Spirit of God began to make it real to you and you began to see things that you never saw saw before the Holy Spirit began to illuminate and bring revelation of God's word to you. Hallelujah. He made your spirit alive. The natural man cannot comprehend the spiritual things of God. And so Jesus had to quicken your spirit. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. He brings out, brings uh, about regeneration. And next he brings about sanctification. At regeneration, the Holy Spirit affects a radical change in the soul, but now during sanctification, there is still the world, the flesh, and the devil to overcome. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit made you a new creation, but now it takes a continual work and help of the Holy Spirit to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. You didn't need the Holy Spirit just when you got saved, but you need the Spirit of God every single day of your life. The Holy Spirit, he sanctifies you. He gives you victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hallelujah. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is give endowment with power, and this power is power for service. The Holy Spirit, he equips you with the power of the Holy Spirit for you to be an effective witness of Jesus Christ. Some of the names that we have for the Holy Spirit is simply the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, he is the one that brings about holiness in your life. He, his, his chief work is sanctification. N the number one reason why he is the Holy Spirit is because he is intended there. He, his purpose is to make you and I more holy, to make the holiness of God more real in our life. And let me say this, that holiness isn't uh, in the length of your hair. It's not in makeup or no makeup or uh, long jeans or black jeans or blue jeans or whatever the case. What makes you holy is the spirit of God living inside of you and conforming you into the image and character of Jesus Christ. That's what holiness is. Nothing else. Holiness has been portrayed as just an external appearance. If you, if you look religious and you look righteous, then, then you must be holy. But the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day is that they looked holy and they looked righteous, but the Bible said that they were full of dead man's bones. And so holiness and sanctification is an internal work of the Spirit of God where God the Holy Spirit makes you more like Jesus. And when the Spirit of God works in your life, he'll make you modest and he'll, he'll make you more like Christ. But I'm not looking for people who look like me and dress like me. I just want them to look like Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, wearing a tie, no tie, jeans, suit, dress, jeans. It makes no difference to me. It doesn't change the fact that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. 
And I know some people will say, well, you've got to wear a tie when you go to church because you've got to respect the house of God. You are the house of God. This, isn't the, this is just a building that the house of God meets in, but you are the house of God. When you went to sleep in your pajamas, you were the house of God. You think that God won't listen to your prayers if you're in pajamas or you're wearing a tie or no tie? You are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells inside of you. Hallelujah. You think God really cares whether or not you're wearing a tie? You think God really cares whether you're wearing a dress or you're wearing jeans? No. He's just looking for his temple that is yielded to the spirit of God. Hallelujah. That's what God is looking for. You are the temple of God. And yet people, they build these beautiful cathedrals around the world. I remember when that building, the Notre Dame building, caught on fire and people said it was devastating for Christianity. No, it's not because that's not Christianity. We are the temple of God. Wherever we go, we are the temple of God. Hallelujah. And so whether you're drinking coffee on your recliner or you have a coffee section in a part of a church, it doesn't change the fact of whether or not God is pleased with you. You know, I find the people, and Pastor Paris and I were talking about this, people just get caught up in terminology. You know, if you said that you were having coffee and fellowship in a church, they think you're worldly and automatically write you off. But if you say that we're going to have a potluck, but we're going to serve coffee there, oh, this is fine, no problem with that. Just because of terminology. And people get caught up in these things and they get so consumed with things that are irrelevant and not even found in the Word of God, not even found in the book. It's just tradition. Just give me Jesus. That's all I want. Just give me Jesus. If it's in the book, we'll live by it. But if it's not in the book, I can't make any promises. Amen. Amen. We just want Jesus. We want to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God. Hallelujah. And let me just say this. I wasn't planning on saying this. But, you know, the word contemporary is such a taboo word in the church world. People think that contemporary means worldly. Contemporary does not mean worldly. Contemporary just means modern. There's nothing wrong with being modern. You know, people, they're afraid to become modern because they think that means worldly. And so then they wait 20 years to do the same thing that they were against 20 years ago. And they're just leading from behind. How about just putting away the foolishness and being spiritually minded and standing true to the word of God and say, God, no matter what the building looks like, we are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells inside of us. Hallelujah. That's what God is looking for. And that's the heart of this church hallelujah so he is the holy spirit he is the spirit of truth which means that he is the interpreter of jesus christ he helps us to understand the inner meaning of god's word and to appreciate its real purpose he doesn't give us a a different revelation but rather opens our minds to see the deeper meaning of the word of god and so if somebody says that the holy spirit gave me a revelation but it's not found in the book that wasn't the holy spirit that gave him the revelation if it doesn't line up with the book if it doesn't line up with the bible it's not a holy spirit revelation so he is the spirit of truth he is the spirit of grace and singers can come back here tonight The spirit of grace, which means that he imparts the power 
for sanctification and for endurance and for service. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings about grace. He is the, the spirit of life, which means that he's the one that brings true life. He's the one that brings the life of Christ. He's a spirit of adoption, which tells us that the, the spirit witnesses with our spirits that we are the children of God. And in closing here tonight, some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit, he's fire, which fire illustrates the purging, the purification, and the fiery boldness and zeal that is produced by the anointing of the Spirit. Not only that, but it's, it's fire that illuminates and fire that spreads. Hallelujah. He's symbolized as fire. By the way, I'm Pentecostal. That is my first closing. I'll get two more here tonight. He's symbolized as wind. Which that wind, it symbolizes the re regenerative work of the Spirit. He's symbolized as water. We know that the Spirit is the fountain of living water. He's the purest. He's the best. He's the river of life. He gushes over our souls and cleanses away the dust of sin. He purifies. He refreshes. He quenches thirst. Hallelujah. He's the seal. Now, seal, it, it speaks of ownership, and in that day, they would, they would create their own seal, and so when they sent a letter, that, that seal was a sense of security and made clear who it came from, and so the, the impress of a seal, it implies a relation to the owner of a seal. It's a sure token that something belongs to him. And so believers are, are God's property, uh, and we are, are known to be so by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit as a seal. Hallelujah. We know that the Holy Spirit, he symbolizes oil. And really, oil is the most familiar symbol, and it speaks of youth, usefulness, not youthfulness, although that would be great for some of y'all here tonight. Just kidding. Lord, forgive me. I don't know where that came from. Usefulness, fruitfulness, beauty. There's one for women. Beauty, life, transformation. O oil, it was commonly used for food, for light, for healing, for the soothing of, of the skin. And likewise, the spirit, he strengthens, he heals, he soothes the soul. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings healing to your heart. And lastly, he symbolizes a dove. And dove, it, uh, dove speaks of gentleness, tenderness, loveliness, innocence, mildness, peace, purity, patience. Hallelujah. Christ, he, he spoke of the dove as the embodiment of the harmlessness, which was characteristic of his disciples. He said to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit brings healing. The Holy Spirit brings deliverance. He brings refreshment to your soul. And we ought to ask God to pour out his spirit upon us. When the Bible says to ask the Lord for the time of the latter rain, that rain is a type of the Holy Spirit. When we say, Lord, send down the rain, we're saying, God, we need more of your spirit. We need more healing. We, meet, we need more deliverance. We need more transformation. Lord, send down the rain. Hallelujah.